Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was such a pleasure to be in conversation today with Suzanne Picard. Suzanne is a certified advanced rolfer and rolfing movement therapist in practice since 1992. Over the past 30 years, she has deepened her studies with several styles of movement modalities, cranial sacral therapies, and osteopathic-inspired trainings in the neurovascular and visceral systems. She's been a faculty member of the Rolf Institute since 1996, at various times being chair of the Rolfing Movement and the Foundations of Somatic Practices Departments. She's a practicing visual artist with an MFA in sculpture. Suzanne cultivates the technical and the art of her manual therapy. In today's conversation, we spoke about many topics related to embodiment, Rolf movement, Suzanne and her practice, and and a bunch more. This was just one of those talks that was, was so easy and fun. Uh, while also being incredibly informative. It was like old friends catching up, which is bouncing around many interrelated topics. And because of this, I'm sure you'll enjoy the show and also get a lot out of it. I know that I did. So with that, let's begin our talk. Hey, hey Suzanne. It's great to, uh, to, to be back in contact. I know you and Nikki have been speaking. I haven't seen you. Uh, I don't know. I don't remember. I went in, I got a session for you at some point in either phase two or phase three. And you actually, you might not remember you, you were, um, Lisa Fairman was doing my phase two initial week and you were like a uh, super, you were, I think uh, not supervising, but uh, checking to see whether or not she would pass and she did wonderful, but it was a, such a, it was a real blessing for my class. Cause we also had time with you and that was a really, um, an extra special treat because not only are we getting time with you, but we're getting another aspect of Rolf movement because it's so Rolf movement really depends a lot on who is teaching it. And so we had Lisa, but then we also had you coming in. It was, you know, I, I just feel really grateful for that, um, for that, that, that time. And then also getting to know you, which was great, but it's, it's, it's great to have you, have you here. Well, yeah. Thank both of you very much. It's um, delighted to be here with both of you and looking forward to what emerges in our conversation. Is there anywhere in particular, um, either from the topics we, we did share or, or something else that, that, that is speaking as far as where you want to start? Um, and if not, what I'll say is think about that. And then if not, like maybe talk a bit about how, what brought you at first into, um, into the practice. Well, um, I think actually from what you um, shared with me, you know, what am I excited about in my practice? Mm. Um, it got mm. me thinking about um, the focus of my practice these days. And I would say that what I notice quite a bit about everybody who comes in and about, I think, a lot of us in society is that we're all exhausted. There's a lot of fatigue a lot of living in a sympathetic kind of state, a lot of endless scrolling or just being, you know, super busy. And with everything that's happening in our world, just um, a little bit of overwhelm for everybody. So um, 
I would say that a, a big focus in my practice is really down-regulating people um, and you know helping them find that parasympathetic, parasympathetic being the place where you know rest and repair comes from. So on a physical level, you know, that's the the place where you know, the fibroblasts can do their job and the fibroclasts as far as that traditional rolfing thing, but also just the whole interface with the, our whole nervous system and our being through that, the more downregulated that is, I mean, that's the place where body awareness happens more easily and repatterning can happen more easily. And um, another thing that I um, just have really been playing with um, a lot these days too, is there's a, a book called uh, Rest is Resistance. Um, and I'm forgetting the author's name right now. Um, it's an African-American woman. And when she was doing her divinity training, she also took a, a large amount of somatic classes. Because as I was reading this, I'm like, huh, this is fascinating. And then when she got to the part that, yeah, she took a lot of somatic work. But she was also mentioning, um, looking at our culture, our capitalistic culture and the lack of rest and the lack of um, that that not only took away from our physical healing, but that it stole and steals our dream time. It steals our creativity. You know, it steals a lot of other aspects as well as that that physical, you know, uh, manifestation. And I find that very intriguing, especially as we're going forward as a society, we have so many larger problems that really need to be addressed. And we could really use that creativity to address, to help address those problems, as well as to heal our community to, so that we have some more compromise and and re-enliven the idea of public service and, you know, re-enliven the idea of negotiation and, um, you know, the things that I would love to see in our, our world. So on a really big level, I've, I'm, that's on the biggest level, kind of what I is up in my practice these days. Well, I, I love that. I mean, as soon as you say society, I'm already, I'm in. <laughs> I'm not a conspiracy theory person, but but I, I definitely, um, and I've talked, I've talked about this a bit on other podcasts, but I don't know if you would have heard. Uh, so I, I, I agree. Like when you mentioned downregulation, 100%. Um, I, so I have this sort of lucky place that I fell into working in numerous different cultures all over the world. And looking at cultures, and then also starting to see societies and how they how they end up coming together, and how they're influenced by others. And uh, interestingly, like when we, we talk about the, the, the sort of the Western sense of that, when I lived in Southeast Asia, people actually work six day weeks. But I, I would say to some extent, a lot of them didn't work as hard in it. So you you had more time almost to have a rest in there, even though you're working every day. But I, I work with a company here that just moved to a four day week. And I think, wow, and they're, they're a big tech company. And I think that they kind of get this sense of like, we don't need to continue to, to drive and drive and it's, what's the cost? And they've actually, they brought me in to do uh, meditation and, and actually to do, we're going to start doing a role thing in, in this big tech company nice. because I think they understand. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. It's still like finalizing, 
but I think they get that sense that like you can only push something so far and then and then you know you're running on when you were talking about the the dream time I was also thinking like people are just running on reserves and they don't realize the gas is full uh, sorry empty <laughs> empty um and you know like my when I hear you speak much this is very much my SI practice which is also informed from Rolf movement and, and cranial sacral and other stuff is really like people come in and say I want a 10 series and I sometimes will say well, well we need to do at least two sessions before for like getting your nervous system just down to a place where you can you know function semi-normally and they say was that rolfing I say well it's pre-rolfing so it's you know it's a pre so it's a part of the process and therefore yes it's you're getting rolfing um but it's 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 I, I'm fully on board with you. There's this, um, and it, it does seem for me. It does. Uh, I want to say it seems like there's a change, but I don't. I don't know because I'm. You know, I think we're all in these communities that are similar in going around, so we get a bit of the echo chamber, uh, and so uh, it seems like there's a change. Uh, but then also to to go back to what we were talking about before the call, there's somewhat of what I see with part of that change is some whether it's spiritual bypassing or psychological bypassing as a way of um getting the idea of the thing oh that sounds really good but actually not down regulating the nervous system just getting almost like a buffer that says well i don't i i understand it so i'm good but actually underneath it and i, I have a few um professional mental health workers who i'm working with right now who are like whoa i this is the opposite of what I was trained. I thought I was helping people on my own system was downregulated, but now I can see I, I created a bypass and I just repressed trauma and it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. I, I think that's a really, I, I can say for my own life um, that, you know, I mean, there's, there's levels and I, for uh, a number of years, I was working too hard and I definitely ran my body, you know, into a place where I got sick and, um, you know, I really had to take a big, big step back and continue to say, I choose me, I choose me and take a lot of time. And it's still a process that I'm going through, but, you know, with, with the resting, it's just, yeah, there's, um, you know, deepening that. And for us who are, you know, enjoy embodiment, I even got to a place where, you know, I, I was healing from the treatments I had had. And, um, you know, my liver had been working super hard for a year. And as I was doing the, it's okay to rest, it's my birthright to rest and spending time doing that and playing with that. I would then, you know, first there was just big things that came up and then it was like my liver came up and it was like, yeah, liver, you don't have to work as hard. And what was it like for the liver to just let go and kind of rest? And it was kind of emotional. <laughs> so yes. And, you know, trauma can come from, you know, your first family or a car accident. And it also can come from, you know, medicine and chemicals and, you know, environmental pollutants and any which way. So I think, you know, there's, there's always, there's always room for to do more work <laughs> and to make sure that there's time for joy and that resting is also not just for doing work or being more productive in some way, but to just like 
to just truly just chill and have fun and enjoy. <laughs> anyway. I, well, uh, I appreciate this, how we were kind of bringing this into the realms of the society, because that's kind of a little hot on my mind as of recently. Um, you know, I, as you guys know, I'm raising two boys and, you know, being in the, the, the chatterbox of the next door app and things like that. But right now, summer's out. E-bikes are like all over the place. And here in Boulder, and I'm sure we're not alone, Some there's some punk kids that are like doing some super obnoxious stuff from either rip roaring mm-hmm. through um, through parks and destroying the, 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 you know, the grass and stuff like that. That's kind of minor compared to, you know, two kids were um, caught shooting BB guns at a homeless person. And yeah, some, and some other pretty obnoxious stuff. And, um, and then I, like, I started one and it was just a gentle reminder to parents who have these, you know, who bought these e-bikes to kids. Cause this was in a parking lot. I saw two, 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 two e-bikers or two e-bikes with two kids on each. So a pack of four rip roaring through the parking lot, flew through, you know, four way stop sign, almost saw them get clipped by a big, um, RV camper that nearly almost made it to a stop. And so I just made a post of like, Hey, you know, let's, let's, you know, remind the kids of the rules. I'm not anti e-bike. I'm not getting on that thing, but really like, if you're going to get these bikes, like there's a responsibility that you have to teach them of sharing the road. And the response was interesting because a lot of people are equally, you know, angry. And then, and then there was a lot of the people who are like, well, this is, this is what kids do. Kids always do stupid stuff. And I'm, I'm sitting with that because I also did stupid stuff, but I'm also like, is this going to be our, our excuse for like risky behavior, bad behavior. And I, I just couldn't, I couldn't sit with it, but I did sit with it before I responded. And basically my response was like, okay, so, so this has been so some people are giving excuses of this is how it's always been. And maybe too in the modern world where children have a little bit more time to play and have freedom, they're not being held accountable to household chores or tending to the farm or doing those type of things. I kind of was thinking globally when I've been around the world, I'm like, okay, I've been in a lot of places where there's a lot of different age groups riding bikes. And I I don't find the different younger age groups like driving irresponsibly. And, and, you know, I I just was like, I don't know if I, I buy this, that kids are just going to do, we should just accept that kids are going to do bad behavior. So I'm sitting with it because I'm also like, well, you know, what if this is my kid or what could I do to kind of prevent this? And so I'm always coming back to like, you know, situational awareness and I'm like, okay, we need more than situational awareness. And then I'm like somatic situational awareness. Like, what is it to be in an environment with other beings, other type of vehicles? And, and maybe we have a, an opportunity to up-level our, our communication with our kids so they're not making these stupid, reckless decisions or, you know, being unkind to people. And it, it does kind of start with our our youth of like not giving excuses of 
well, this is just the way, and we were talking earlier of like brain development, for sure, at a certain age, our brains aren't as fully equipped to make great executive decisioning. But I don't think that really gives allowance to shooting shooting homeless people around with BB guns or rip-roaring through parks and things like that. Another one was fairly recently, kids unleashed a bunch of fire extinguishers on, um, on parked cars in a parking garage. And so, you know, it comes back to, and, and this is like, you know, society, I'm contending to, I'll stop making it about my issues, but we're talking about like not resting in, you know, the, the social media, the scrolling and just like, what is that doing to our brain and mapping? Because a lot of some of these kids who were, uh, who were tearing up the park had a camera, they're looking for their TikTok, you know, clickbait videos and it's just I think we're in a very interesting time where some of this technology is really awesome and available for creativity but yet there's a responsibility to it and I think you know we're kind of I feel like I'm a little bit in that generation of what to do with it because I didn't grow up with YouTube I didn't grow up with social media and all that and and I'm constantly telling my kids like you know there's a reason I'm not punishing you to get off these things. There's a reason why it's not good to constantly be like seeing just like, you know, 20 second, 30 second, maybe, you know, three minute clips because you have no attention span to really be drawn into a story. It's like, you've seen it, you've done it, you've been captivated. Now you're ready for a next thing. So, which led me to buy this book. I just showed up today. <laughs> But because um, I think it's a big conversation that we 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 kind of owe it to our youth to not just shame them, be like, you know, yeah. stop being, you know, reckless assholes. And let's like have a conversation of like, this is why. And but it's a big conversation because we have so much contending against us of like what this what their world is shaping into, you know. You know, are they even really having to, you know, I'm making them practice their penmanship because, I mean, at some point in your life, you're going to have to, you want to maybe write a meaningful letter and you want to look like you're, it's eligible, but the truth is they're going to be. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to need to write. By the way, just for people who are listening and can't see, that was the embodied team. Um, Is that right, Nikki? The book? Yes, I meant to say it. The Embodied Team by Susan Bauer. I literally just got it, so I can't um, speak to it, but it, it had great reviews, and it's the somatic curriculum for teaching body, mind, awareness, kinesthetic intelligence, that's what caught my attention, and social and emotional skills. And there's 50 activities in somatic movement education for adolescents. Nice. I mean, you touched on a lot of different topics. Um, and, um, I, I do think that, I mean, I think in our broader society, um, the balance between, um, personal freedom and personal responsibility is something that's, that's very up in the, in the culture at large. And so absolutely, you know, giving, um, every human is different. Every kid is different, but giving, um, hopefully that child and 
ourselves and each other, you know, the best environment to to navigate those things that you're speaking of. The, um, I mean, certainly the uh, the attention span um, that we all have has deteriorated uh, from uh, the use of social media, at least in the you know in studies that they've done. And, um, you know, so I do think social media and the, and the internet in general is so rich and has so much creativity. And, you know, I, I don't, I don't think that, you know, we should expect our kids not to use it or shame them into not using it because it's a, it's a real thing. I mean, my son is a semi-professional athlete. My daughter is a, um, an entertainer and a dancer and their social media um presence is is part of what gets them jobs and sponsorships and you know that is just part of the world so you know that's it's it's it is that and at the same time it you know giving kids opportunities um and each other opportunities to spend some time doing either doing you know uh for us you know i i like kind of trying to detox from it as much as possible and then going back or, you know, what, what other activities um, like you're doing? The, I know, Nikki, your kids are doing some adventure camps, you know, where they're they're doing things and interacting with people. And or back when I was homeschooling my kids, which I did up until through elementary school, I really paid a lot of attention to them having alone time, time um, just with the two of them time in small groups and time in large groups. So, you know, that they had, you know, practice and experiences with different, um, different groups and different size groups, different types of, of interactions. And um, yeah, there's a lot you, you, you touched upon and parents get very protective of their parenting style. So it's a, it's an interesting, I, I appreciate you taking your time to say, how can I phrase this on this platform in a way that people might be open to? Because that's tough. Yeah, yeah. And I get it. Every, different strokes for different folks. And I'm not here to judge what what works for different families. Um, you know, I see a value in the e-bike. You know, I had one. Mm-hmm. I used it to pull my kids around in a little carriage thing. So, um, and so anyhow, but my question for you then, Suzanne, to kind of bring it back to the SI space, where, how would you play with this in Rolf movement? Oh, in Rolf movement. Or in the bio, anyway, in, in, in structural integration. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I think one of the things I begin to, either in more structural or functional work, because they're really blended in my practice. Um, And even as I'm bringing, and I do cranial is, is woven into every practice I do. Um, One of the simplest ways I talk to it with people is that we have patterns of perception that we actively fish for information in our environment all the time. Um, and we're doing that in, you know, our proprioceptive system. We, you know, we're doing that with, our, you know, all of our mechanoreceptors. Uh, we're doing that with our, our kinesphere, how we're mapping the space around us. So how we're mapping our internal space, 
how we're mapping the space around us. So there's the possibility, there's all this information. Our system is actively fishing for information all the time. Um, and we get into patterns with that. So um, a classic one, for example, is someone gets into, has, let's say, a car accident or has, um, you know, in some way is hit on the left side and it shifts almost like creates a, a hole in their perceptual field. You know, they have a dent in their perceptual bubble. And because they have that dent in their perceptual bubble, they may be actually off balance and they may continue to hurt that left side over and over again. So, you know, from a nuts and bolts point of view, you know, we're kind of moving them. You know, we're, we're first have to become aware of what their pattern is and then begin to re-inhabit that space and use all the tools we have at our disposal structurally, functionally, and otherwise. But one of the big educational pieces is the the whole process that's behind that. And then once people are like, oh, I, I do have, you know, for example, with the media, social media, our eyes are basically, you know, on a screen. It could be a phone, it could be a computer screen, but it's very limited. Whereas our eyes really should have a whole 360 and very broad focus. And people get that immediately. And then when I tell them that, you know, your eyes and the eye movements are hooked into your deep paraspinals so that when you're getting ready to look up, you know, the back muscles are beginning to put you into extension a little bit. When your eyes are looking down, it's activating the deep front line, looking to the right, looking to the left. You're getting those rotatories are beginning to fire. And they, when, they're, when they begin to figure out that, oh, my goodness, my eyes are connected to how my spine is all the time, you know, so I can chunk it down to a very small anatomical bit that matters to them. But the bigger question is, we have a pattern in what we're doing with our perception. And that can be very little, like I just said, with the eyes and the computer screen, or that we have this dent in our kinesphere from having gotten knocked off the bicycle or whatever it is, or it might be that we, you know, only take in certain types of information from our world in other ways, which can get very large and interesting. But what I find exciting is if I'm dealing with the nuts and bolts of my practice, those bigger questions kind of beg the question. And as they start, as clients start playing with their embodiment, I think, you know, we're curious monkeys and people start getting interested in how else is my perception? You know, wow, I, I do have patterns in how I'm perceiving. How fascinating. And they can take that wherever they want to. Real quick, I comment on that. Just And I said it on a different um, podcast, but I spent a significant amount of time with a young family member of mine, a young kid, and um, who's oh, and she's the only child. And um, her source of kind of entertainment has been her phone. And she, I worked with her. And, um, and it was fascinating, Suzanne, because when I, you know, was with her, her, she could not orient to horizon. And I told her parents, I was like, I don't know what you're going to do with the phone situation. I have my opinions about it. That's your prerogative. But at least take her on a walk that she cannot hold the phone. The phone cannot come because... It was, the phone was always in one hand. So there was this, like, there was a slight side bend. 
And just the moment of her getting out of my car to go to, um, to the house or whatever, it's like the, it was constant addiction of like, I only can orient to this device. And it was like, you know, we've heard that study of like, you have a moment of boredom, you grab your phone, you're looking for something. And, but it's so, so real. Like it, I've read a ton about perception, but to like see it in real life with like, with a budding growing being in her prime of really transitioning from a young child to, or a young adult, whatever the preteen age. And I was just like, Holy moly, this is, this device is shaping her. Mm-hmm. And, and I know she's not alone. It's not unique to her. And um, so this is like my little, like my little pet project on amongst other things is like, while this is really great for us as adults who can comprehend this and like have something to reflect on what life was like before these devices to what it is now, how do we get the ones that are, this is all they know. They've grown up with it. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm in the mix. I'm in the mix. I get it. Yeah. 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 There's another piece that, that I was going to say that actually will relate there that, that Suzanne, you hit on. Uh, I, I think I only kind of realized this like a week ago is uh, because my wife loves everything tiny because she's small and she's also, I think, been indoctrinated into the smallest cute and therefore better. So she has the smallest phone. And I realized like my, my wife's spatial awareness, like she's doesn't go very wide. And I started to think, I wonder if I got her a bigger phone, if that actually would help a bit, because her attention is so into as tiny as a space as possible, which as we, we also know from a, from a nervous system regulation, when we're going into more of that foveal vision as well, we're going into bit and, and losing on that wider sort of scope. So I gave her actually one of my iPads, which is bigger than the one that she wanted to use, but kind of trying to trick her into like, get a little more, go a little wider, go a little... But that there is this, in addition to what you're saying, Nikki, there is this pen, pen, I'll say pandemic of focal vision uh, down into a small point that we're putting everything. So the whole peripheral goes away and we're, we're, we're into this tiny area. And so our body can actually get compressed. I, I notice that when I'm, if I'm walking and I'm trying to get directions on my map and I'm walking with it, I start to lose the space around me a lot. And then I have to remember, okay, put it down, take a breath. Go really wide, take up a lot of space, look at the horizon, look at way the horizon. And then I'm, you know, my body will start to feel, oh yeah, like I can actually feel my diaphragm drop down a bit. But I'm somebody who spent a lot of time doing this and and I still forget and I still fail. Um, what about those who have like, you know, and in the, the sense is, well, if I don't feel anything, it doesn't exist. But there's this, 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 this we'll, we'll go in the same theme might be a bit much to say, but societal damage of that we're all, we're going into, in, 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 as opposed, and losing the world. Yeah. I mean, in a real general sense, um, whether it's a, a child or an adult, I have to kind of get buy-in from them, right? You know, so if I can, in some way, they've come in for a reason, it can be harder with kids if the parents are bringing them in and it's not they're motivated to come in. But if I can find a way in where 
oh, my neck feels better. Oh, I really like that. Or, you know, anything that I can then hang my hat on and go, okay, you like that. Here are the beginning steps to begin for you to to take it with you. Um, I mean, and I know you guys do this and you've you've heard of, of this too. I mean, and it's it's certainly wonderful for people who have something like, you know, they're healing from an injury or they, you know, they love this sport or they want to knit and do crafting more, or, I mean, so whatever, whatever it is, it can, it can really help. It's harder. Um, when I've worked with adolescents, sometimes I haven't known until a couple years later when they'll go, wow, that was really impactful. But at the time, I wasn't so sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's just like they were really kind of, yeah, cool. <laughs> or just very minimal in their in their response. Um, so, you know, there's definitely, but definitely, I mean, you know, that wider vision drops people into their body awareness. I mean, it, it, we have more awareness of our mechanoreceptors and all of that if we have peripheral vision. So, you know, it's a very down to earth, nuts and bolts. How do you get people into their body? But yeah, I try to work with where they're at and hook it onto there. And I was right before we started, I actually got a, um, a text from a client, which made me really happy. She was coming up from Colorado Springs to see me in Boulder, which is a long trek. And we worked together and I really, she was someone who was very open to what I was saying. She actually studied um, when she was, before she was retired, she studied glycoproteins. So we could have this like, you know, really fun talk about fascia and nervous system. And um, I started giving her more and more Rolf movement sort of things to do. And she just texts me, she goes, keep the money for the last session. I'm not going to make the trip. Um, you've given me, you've helped me so much and you've given me so much stuff that I'm just going to go ahead and work on all the things you've given me, take yourselves out to dinner on that last session. And I'm like, great. She's and she goes and buy yourself a couple books. So, um, cause uh, and that just makes me really happy. She's in a place where she's like, great. I have enough things that I can do every day, um, to start. And it's, you know, I'd like to ask you a question on that in a similar place because I have, so I, I hear that and I hear like, yes, totally. And then I had this client recently who, who was not super embodied but had done coaching stuff before. And my prep, my whole way is I actually don't tell people to come back. I, I try to give them agency. And so I sort of say, oh, if you want to come back, you can. Um, but I, I do my best to not grab them uh but this person i really wanted to come back uh, but she so sort i of said oh i think i'm good for right now and my sense was no you're in your old pattern of thinking and following that other way which is very different and if you come back i didn't say this to her because i because I, I, as soon as i say that i, I it changes the dynamic and it becomes a power but in that same you know a similar sort of regard but a little different than the case do you have times when people have said maybe they, they want to take a they want to take a break, but they're it sort of seems like as I hear for this lady you talked about in Colorado Springs, she she's good, she doesn't need it, she'll do her own sort of thing. But other people 
maybe actually continuing will be more helpful because what they think they have and what they have are not necessarily aligned. Does that make some, some sense? Oh, absolutely. But I'm very much at a place in my practice where I'm like, you know, I hear that's what you need to do. And that's great. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, that's great. You know, I'm maybe what I might say is, you know, this is great. Play with this. I still see some areas that we could work in and really mm-hmm. this and mm-hmm. such. And mm-hmm. I the door open, like, you know, if you have questions yeah. up or, you know, you, if, you know, if you find that it's, you know, give me a, give me a call and we can talk about it. But yeah. I'm like, people are either getting so busy in their lives or they somehow they're wanting a break for whatever reason. I'm very much like, mm-hmm. Let them go and, you know, I'm very, very laissez-faire with that. Um, now, if parents yeah. are asking me about kids or something and et cetera, I try to frame my responses um, as openly as possible. Like in Boulder, we have the um, people who overexercise. It's you know, a compulsion for some. And they also don't eat well enough to support the level of exercise they're doing. So there's a lot of uh, eating disorders in that regard in in this town. Um, And so I can talk to them a little bit about that. Or kids will be in, um, you know, they're loving. I mean, my son was on a climbing team. You know, my daughter was doing competitive dance. I, I understand that's what's going on. And then I've also... Years ago, I had a uh, uh, two kids who were coming in and they were doing gymnastics and their coach was had been an Olympic coach uh, from another country and was working them to the point of their whole everything around their spines were totally inflamed. And they're like 10 and 11 years old. And it's kind. And then I would hear, yes, she punished me by making, I wasn't ready to do this other thing. I didn't feel comfortable. So she had me do 40 walkovers and I'm just going, you know, this is abusive from my perspective, but how do I talk to a parent and say, what I can say is what I'm seeing is the level of work that's happening is totally inflaming the spine. If this continues to happen in a young person for, you know, you're looking, you're setting this person up for having some chronic problems, you know, in their late twenties, early thirties. I mean, you know, this, this was really, and also this is where the cranial comes in because I'm certainly not going to be pressing on anything like uh, in my tra- uh, traditional 10 series would be because everything's all inflamed. So I'm working with nerves and I'm working, you know, cranially to try to get stuff to, to ease and kind of take the shock out of the system. So I think I got a little off tangent, but it's that like when people want, no, no, to, how, do you, yeah. how do you tell them, you know, Woo, no, I think that's helpful. And, and I think, yeah, I think that's also really helpful because, you know, one of the things we've talked about is that a lot of these talks are for Nikki and I, cause we're, you know, whatever, but it's for people. And, and I think that there's a lot of, of us, especially who haven't been doing this as long as you, who are still looking for, uh, what is the way I can, I could do this. And so even just hearing some of the ways you worded that, I know for myself, it's been like, oh yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a better way to do it. That it's, um, And so uh, I think you're right on target. Well, and I appreciate that as well, because it also 
It speaks to one of my big passionate things of trying to debunk the idea that rolfing is painful and that it's a heavy handed approach. And you just very brilliantly gave an example of when a lighter touch is necessary and having that spectrum of touch is, is so valuable. And I've also, I don't think I really have always, I, have, I haven't been a heavy handed body worker. I mean, my, this is redundant in this podcast, but what built my first practice in Aspen is I had a newspaper article um, advertisement that said, Rolfing doesn't have to be painful. And I got so many phone calls like, wait a minute. I thought I really have been interested in this, but I don't want to be, I don't want that kind of heavy handed touch. And it does speak to, you know, to the value of working you know, you're speaking of the cranial sacral system, but also the nerves. And, you know, with my, my continued education, that's definitely where I've gone. And, and it's been very powerful for clients to receive when you do kind of drop into working with the neurovascular system and how much has changed for their body without the heavy touch and kind of a reminder of like, Yes, I know you were kind of identifying and feeling a tight knot or, you know, it feels more muscular to her, but, you know, what's the governing system of the body is the nervous system. So if you can tap into that and, you know, and be, and, and then it kind of comes into what we're kind of bringing back to the very beginning of the conversation of like down-regulating, like be patient for something to happen. This isn't like a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. Like, be, you know, and you're going to get more out of it if you're paying attention and tracking where I am. And clients really dig that because I'm like, this is subtle. You're going to have to like really kind of be curious of feeling to kind of, you know, notice this, to notice it in the table. And then, of course, you know, I'm big at getting people up and moving. And then they're like, whoa, you didn't really do much. And now I'm walking differently. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, being 23 years in this game, like, I don't want to work that hard it, it hurts <laughs> so um Absolutely. I and I'm sure you've said this in other podcasts but for those younger you know rolfers out there I mean having a a, a a cranial training where you can start working I mean that opens up all your clients who have just gotten into a traumatic injury all your clients who are who are coming out of surgery um you know there's so once once we were, you know, I'm sure for all of us, now that we have that training, you can work with anybody all the time and all the principles of our work still apply. And you're still, you know, you're affecting fascia. Um, so, you know, any of those things, having that, that, um, that cranial training, which you need for at the Rolf Institute, you need a little for your advanced training because the advanced faculty, you know, they led the way in saying, you know, yeah, this is really helpful. But that means I can work with people all the time, um, yeah. which, which is great. And getting back to that um, down regulating, and I know you know this from your biodynamic training, Andrew, is that there's there's shock in the body from an accident or from a fall or from whatever. And and if we can let the if we can assist the body in resolving and integrating some of that then all of a sudden that frees up a whole bunch of ATP and a whole bunch of energy to, to deal with the healing that needs to happen once that goes on. And it's just, you know, so, so useful. Um, yeah, so useful. And 
Totally. No, I actually was kind of thinking, and, and this might get us a bit off track, but thinking about like when we're talking about children doing all the crazy stuff, a part of me is like, yeah, they're, they're having to, similar to the shock in the system, they're having to get energy out. There's this sense. And so some of it is testing the waters of where the boundaries are, like, where can I do? What can I do? And some of it's also like, I want to, uh, I mean, some of it is for show, like you said, with the cameras and all that. Uh, but still, to some extent of that, there's like, I, I'd say that there's a charge in the system mm -hmm. that needs to find its way out. So it's horrendous if you're shooting a, um, a homeless person. But when you start to break that down, a part of that is the kick that they're getting back, the, the excitement of that, which is just going off of this mm -hmm. compressed energy. And it's, I'm not, I'm not, by the way, I'm not saying I condone it by any means. What I'm doing is, is looking at it and saying, break it, let's break it down. Because if you actually want to help the, the, the children as well, you got to figure out why, where and why is it coming from? And a part of that is, I believe, is that there's something shock trapped in the, in the body. It could be that. It could also be, again, finding where the boundaries are. You know what's wrong, but like as children, they push pushing boundaries. But if it is some of that, like they're not getting, like the typical thing, they're not getting the intention at home. So there's a, a shock system in there of, of reaching out and getting re rejected or whatever that is. And so it's held in. And so they say, I need to get this out. I need to find that kick of that attention in some way. And with the, for me, with the biodynamic training, it's even like seeing that you see how they walk. It just sort of shows, Oh, there's something that's not moving in there. Let's get you on the table. And even maybe not even touching Like even when I have some clients, I'm like, all right, let's get on the table. And I'm like, I'm be I'm just going to slowly back away because their system, as I would say, it is so like too close is too much. And so I'm on the other side of the room or in the hallway, just kind of talking with them and they're slowly coming down. And then like, Whoa, well, you know, what was that? Something, something changed. I just took a breath. And it's like, yeah, all of that is in, in the system air quotes. Uh, and as we give space for it, I mean, more than pushing tissue, it's like first give space and then, and then let's see what's there. I don't, yeah. Yeah. You know what, what creates change going and, you know, it's, it's, I mean, you're talking about, you know, giving space, um, inviting people to yield, you know, to, to use some of the terms from, from Rolf movement, yield or heroes work in, in yield and rest. Um, yeah. Um, slowing stuff down. Um, you know, we, we've known for 30 years that you, you pushing on the tissue is not what creates the change. You know, you, you can't generate enough force to have it go from gel to Saul as they, they taught us when I trained, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's just mechanically impossible. So what does create the change? And, you know, it's like, nervous system, relationship, um, maybe large and field, you know, the, the fact that, that we detect so much in our, in our energy fields that, you know, we do, yeah, God, you can, you know, you can, they can measure the, the heart field, the magnetic field from the heart off the body. And we, we grew up being able to evolve to being able to sense that. So giving space. Yeah. I'm just going back over the, all the great things you said. Yeah. Can we unpack this a little bit? Because I, I love hearing from 
senior practitioners, especially like a little bit of what you said, you know, I don't consider myself a senior practitioner, but I've, <laughs> I've been, I've got two decades of hearing, yeah. hearing um, how it's being taught. And, um, and so I just, yeah, I just would love like, how would, you know, regular old Joe coming off the street was like, well, how are you creating change? Ah, what would you say? Okay. Well, I mean, there's a couple ways I may approach it. So I'm going to kind of jump in a little bit and just see. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll probably say something like connective tissue is everywhere, you know, but I might say, okay, you know, connective tissue, which is what Rolfers work with. So there's all different kinds and we work with all of it. So I know that, you know, for people who have just done their basic training, they're focusing on the myofascia, but generally the progression among a lot of structural integrators is then we learn about the fascia around the organs. We learn the fascia around the vascular system, the nervous system. So basically what I say to clients is we work with the fascia that's everywhere. And, you know, I said, you know, years ago, we used to think that it was just the actual pressure that creates change. But now we know that that, that, Fascia is like a living web that's collecting information. And it's by giving better information to your system, that whole, your body is always fishing for information. So if we can give inf different information to your system, we get a different outcome. Um, so when I'm touching your system, you know, let's say they come in with like a knee pain or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to be working with that knee to find out where it can move, where it's safe, where it's getting, you know, good information that this is safe and this is safe and this is safe and it doesn't have to hold there anymore. And I'm like, that's one piece of what we're, we're going to be doing. We're also going to be reminding the places with our fingers of what can slide and what cannot slide. So I'm like, most things are supposed to have a certain amount of give to each other. Once we get inflammation, things tend to adhere, but we can go in with our fingers and really our fingers, it's not the pressure so much as it's the information that the pressure is giving that these two things are different and they should be able to move with each other in some way. So that can be part of it too. And I'm like, and on, a, on a, a subtler level, we're giving that you're not even consciously aware of, we're reminding your system that, oh, this blood vessel can open a little bit, or this can slide a little bit, and it increases the health of the overall system. And that's still a little heady in a definition, but I'm trying to think, what do I say to people? I know, I mean, it's a tricky one. Yeah, honestly, what I say is I know it feels like it's the pressure that I'm using, but I use Vivian Jay's line all the time, which is I, I give as much pressure as is needed and no more than required just so that your body can feel these areas and re-inhabit them. Mm, yeah. That's, yeah. That's one way, um, you know, but I definitely tell them, I'm like, it's not really the pressure. 
I, and I can I go in as much as I need to, but I'm talking to your nervous system. A lot of times that's what I just say is I'm talking to your nervous system. That's what's in charge. You know, that's kind of, I mean, that's simplified. That's the reader's digest version, but they're like, okay. And honestly, a lot of times if they're headed in our office, they've tried three or four other things and they're like, well, I'll give this a try. And, um, you know, quite often, as far as, again, for new clients, um, and for new rolfers, you know, they'll say, how long to fix this? You know, how many sessions do we need to do? And I'm like, well, I, you know, I can't, it's really hard for me. I can't really say until we work together. Uh, but what I can say is in one session, you'll get a sense if we have a good rapport. And I'm like, and a good rapport is really important. And if you don't have a good rapport with me, there's a lot of other rolfers you can work with because you need to feel safe and comfortable. And I don't take offense at all. So, you know, whatever works. And I said, so after the first session, you'll get a sense of what it is. And, um, and we might get some change, hopefully. And, you know, that's always wonderful. Um, and then I'm like, and at three sessions, you'll know if this is addressing your issue. You know, they'll, they'll get some shift after three sessions. And I said, at that point, we can really kind of revisit, you know, how long it's going to take to, to address X, Y, or Z that you have going. But I mean, very few people come in percentage wise thinking I'm going to do a 10 series. They're like, I want to address this. How long will that take? You know, and then I can say, okay, we can do some local work. And then in order to maintain that, we have to do this other work. I got off track a little bit, but no, no, no but I, I like think, that. Yeah. And I think that one of the things is that, at least in my own experience, is difficult is when giving descriptions to people like it's so dependent on the person so you're going to actually that person that comes in they're going to have something and you're going to meet them with whatever it is but in this sort of thing that we're doing here for you we're giving this this sort of generic thing and it doesn't it doesn't work i, I don't know if i've shared this on the podcast before but i had a lady call me and she said a friend of mine uh, said I should get rolfing. I want to get rolfing done, but can you tell me about it? And I was like, well, I mean, I can give you a little bit, but it's not going to really, do I say too much? She said, well, you need a, a 15 minute elevator, a 15 second elevator speech. And I was like, well, I know that you think I need that. I don't think I need that, but you know, let me, and I tried to explain it to her and she's like, I don't get it. And I tried to explain it some more and she's like, I don't get it. I was like, I know, I told you that you kind of have to come in. I can meet with you, but I ended up, um, I ended up saying, well, I hear an accent you have, uh, where you're from. And that got her mad because, you know, because I was trying to relate with her in a person, you know, personal, but she's, it was so I'm not foreign. I'm American because I've lived her 20 years, but she was from Korea. And I said, oh, great. I lived in Korea. I said, so I love kimchi. I hope maybe you do too. And she said, I do. I said, good. Tell me what kimchi tastes like. And she described it to me. And I said, that's great, but I don't know what it tastes like. And trying to get to her to be like, it's such a personal thing. There's so much happening. There's such a nuance. It's and she hung up on me. <laughs> well, but, but also, some, yeah. So what I, you know, you really brought up I did, before I lose it is that I do a similar thing in where I say, well, what are you interested in rolfing for? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. so that I have something to connect with them because the rolfing is too yeah. big. But if they say, well, actually, so, I have a shoulder injury, or actually, actually yeah, uh, that, then it then it gives yeah, me what you were looking for of you know like you know how can I and and that's as I mean you said it right at the beginning when they come in if they're a meditator or if they're a bodybuilder or if they're 
a writer or, you know, then I can, I have a way to go, you know, this is, this is the, the, the metaphors that I could yeah. use or the yeah. detail yeah. That I could use yeah. in talking to them. But otherwise it's just like, <laughs> it's vast. And it is because it's such a vast, it can be such a vast field and that's where it gets difficult, but you, you, you hit the nail on the head again of like, uh, getting them to kind of, kind of get them, which is a lot of my practice is actually me leading people to say stuff. But in that relationship, we've already developed it. This is the, the it's helpful pre-way of sort of saying, hey, well, what is it you might be looking for? And then, and that, sometimes I've done that and sometimes that doesn't work, but sometimes you're, you're right. It, it could actually be a good way of, okay, now I understand you want more this way. I'm funneling in here and I can pepper this and not get you lost and all the whatever. Right. Yeah. And, and even people, yeah. I have a gentleman who I've worked with and he has a very wry sense of humor. Um, but, um, I, you know, I've worked with him for years now and, you know, he gets up off the table and he's like, every time you work on me, I feel like, oh, man, this isn't going to work. She's doing this so light, isn't her? And he goes, and then I get up off the table and I'm like completely different. And he goes, and I remember one of the first sessions I worked with you, you know, I, I said, you know, Rolfing is supposed to, isn't Rolfing supposed to hurt? And you have to understand his, his sense of humor. I just looked, I just said to him, well, if I can make it hurt if you want me to. And, you know, he's like, no, 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 that's okay. And I'm like, cool. I actually, he's still I, like, I, I don't know thing. what you're doing. You know, I have no idea. <laughs> It's it's funny. So I have a few clients who they, they say, "Yeah, I mean, I always think it's going to be more painful." And I said, "I can do that if you want." They say, "No, no, no, no. This is good. This is good." <laughs> but um, yeah, it's yeah. Usually, I just say it's really the nervous system because also they'll say, and I'm sure you guys have this too. Oh my God, you're so wonderful. You do such great work. And while I know it's important to let compliments in. I do really believe in going, you know, the work is amazing and thank goodness there's the work. And I'm glad that I'm a good practitioner of it. I'm like, but it's really your body that shows me what to do. And that's also from that biodynamic perspective of, totally. you know, I, I, I watch people walk. I, you know, I, et cetera, and et cetera. I make it on the table and I can do some, you know, motion things and kind of check some things out. And then either from the feet or the head, often from the feet, I listen to the system for a couple of minutes. And, you know, knowing that the system will show me, because I have my idea, I'm going to do this and then that and then da 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 So I know my plan and then, you know, have a plan and be ready to abandon it. Um, you know, I get on the feet and I listen and I go, oh, the body wants me to start there. And you could certainly do it like Baral can te teaches you how to impulse into the system, or you can do a thermodiagnosis as well. But I tend to most often use that cranial sacral sort of biodynamic way of seeing what the system brings up and it makes the work really effective. And as far as all of it goes, it's a whole lot easier explaining the nervous system than it is, you know, the bio, whole biodynamic and cranial system is a whole other thing to try to explain. But, um, and usually I don't do oh, yeah, that, honestly. I just go, I'm just listening yeah. to your system right now for a few minutes. And they're like, okay. And I'm like, cool. <laughs> we can, just, we can yeah. just get you on the table and listen. You know? <laughs> 
Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's really interesting. You've hit a few points today that have actually been on my mind. And this is what I said in our pre-email, things with this flow. I'm very similar in that my clients will say, well, you're great. And I say, I can't do it without you. Uh, but there is something I've been wondering about my own self. How much am I deflecting in that as well, too, of not allowing my own? And that's something I'm aware of, I'm aware of it. But there is a sense of like, literally, I, I could not do this without them, both them being here, but also however much they can show up that day. Right. Um, it, it's, it's very much about, about them. And, and I sometimes say, listen, I'm, what I actually tell a lot of clients, new clients, I say, I'm not going to be doing to you. We're going to be doing together. Sometimes I'm walking a step ahead. Sometimes you're walking a step ahead, but we're more or less walking together through this. And it's, it's, it's both of us working together. I think that's really key as far as we want to give our client, we, you know, embodiment is about um, cultivating a person's agency, right? You know, and so it's like when they're like wanting to put all the power over to the practitioner, it's important to tell them the reality of actually you're doing the heavy lifting or, you know, whatever we're walking together. And at the same time, you're right. We also don't want we want to be taking in that we are, um, as John Martin would say, we are we are um, necessary, but not sufficient. You know, it's we're necessary to this process, but it's not just us. Or I tell tell people often, you know, they're like, well, what do you notice? And I'm like, well, or yeah, what's wrong is often how it comes across. But, you know, what's and I I'll give them a little information and then I'll go. But you're the resident expert. What's it like in there? You know, and just trying any way possible to, you know, that balance of accepting that we are we are part of the process and we hone our skills and we. If we're doing our work, we're spending a lot of time being in a place, keeping our systems clear and doing our own work. And, um, but yeah, that balance is really important. And it I 100% agree. I kind of um, launched a pilot in the beginning of this year because I was, you know, doing a lot of structural work and, um, and I was missing the movement. I get a lot of the Rolf movement students that come, but in comparison to that, I had my practice in New York City, I did a lot more, a lot more movement with clients. And and so I was really, really missing that. And I was trying to figure out like, how do I get some of my clients to kind of buy into, and now my style is a lot different than what I was doing in New York. I pretty much kind of coined it as somatic strength training. But what was happening is, you know, we would do great work on the table, you know, more of the classic structural sessions. And then they would go off and like, do whatever crazy exercise that they're doing. And while, and I'm not bashing any modalities out there. I'm a big junkie and all the different fitness um, things out there, but they were kind of holding a little too much to what the instructor says is how they should do it. And I'm like, uh, I was like, you know, be respectful to the teacher, but you are the agency of your body. You don't need to load yourself up. You don't need, and like we mentioned in Boulder, it's like everything is like kind of to the extreme in this community. It's like, don't worry what other people, don't do the comparison, you know, do come, come back to yourself and modify that is appropriate for your structure. And so this whole movement program is kind of taking things back and kind of them getting more kinesthetically smart of like, where they exist in space and, and to really feel it and to do their modifications. And so it's great. Cause like 
they're coming back and they're like, I went to that class and I just backed off a little bit. And I'm like, my shoulder doesn't hurt or my knee doesn't hurt. <laughs> and I'm like jumping up and down. Like luckily I'm in a practice with three other people and we're all loud. So we can get kind of excited. But um, I'm like, yes, I was like, you are empowered. This is, I love what you just said. You're the residence of your body and you, you get, you get to be the, the main land, you know, whatever. Yeah. Homeowner. And, um, <laughs> <Like that. laughs> so you don't have to, you know, always do what's being told to you if it doesn't feel right. Because I'm, I mean, I'm a big believer in this work because I want to come in a bit of place of service and to empower people to connect with their innate wisdom. Yep. And you can do that and still, you know, and still be respectful out in, you know, the world of fitness modalities that you're doing and, um, and still not, and to do it and, and enjoy those classes, but don't keep on re-injuring re- yourself because they would come, the shoulder would get released and they would go and do that, whatever thing they were doing. And it was like, we're in this cycle. And I was like, Something's got to give here. And, you know, I think some, I totally agree with you. And I think that's really well-spoken. Sometimes it takes them going through that process of you getting them more open or more balanced or more support. And then it gets re disorganized and then they come back. Sometimes it takes a couple of those for the person to then honestly be going, okay, you're able to put me right every time, but I don't want to keep having this happen. And once they get to that place, however they communicate it to you, then there's a whole world of possibility open in what you can start speaking with them. Some people are hip to it right away as or there, you know, you can drop things in, but sometimes it takes people a few times of going back and forth to going, okay, well, we can... You know, there's more we can do here. And that great advice that that you give of, you know, these classes, I mean, if you're teaching a class and you've got 20 students in it, it becomes a little bit one size fits all in an exercise physiology sort of way. And that's that's fine. They're putting out good product, but it becomes incumbent upon the upon the class people to monitor their own systems. And you're you're totally, totally teaching that to them. The other thing that it's a little tangential, but you stirred this in my mind is something I've been educating people a lot of lately is there's a lot of different levels of consciousness in your body. You know, it's, it's, it's not homogenous. There's, and they're like, and people intuitively get that. They're like, yeah, there really is. And then it's like a whole nother level of conversation we can have of, you know, letting that information from those different levels of consciousness perk up to your, your conscious mind a little bit, knowing there's a lot of dialogue in there. Anyway, but I think that's great what you're saying with the, um, the exercise piece. And um, I do, a, I've done a lot of Kaiyuge yoga for about 10 years now. Plus, and it's all about getting people into the parasympathetic place and getting them continually going, notice, 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 notice. And, uh, you know, I think that's doing a good service, you know, training people to slow down, breathe and notice and not doing anything to the point that it injures. 
coming up to the edge and backing off. Just those three things. You know, I'm like that just those three things are just so useful to cultivate in the general population. And uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Um, well, I would say that we could probably talk. This is what always happens. We could talk for hours. Uh, we uh, could. Unfortunately, we could. And maybe and maybe there will be another call at some point. And there's also the sense of, well, we have clients to see or children to pick up or uh, other other life stuff uh, that that's happening, and and so I'm I'm just noticing what the time is at, and noticing what mine and Nikki's schedules, and I'm sure is yours as well. I'm gonna uh, suggest that we kind of wrap close on down and wrap up. But but being that there is, it's so like it's so easy to talk with you. There's so much more to talk about that possibly we'll we'll um, we'll have a, another call at some point. We really enjoy having the second calls, the third calls with people. Um, it's pretty fun stuff. Um, well, thank I, you. I, I want, yeah. Thank, Sorry, thank you. So, thank you so much. And um, absolutely, um, this has been a joy. And um, mm. I would would welcome the opportunity to come back and talk about other things or same things. Uh, and, yeah, and it's also it's a joy for us because one of the, one of the for me one of the most exciting parts about this podcast is sharing people with other people so people will say who's suzanne picard and all of a sudden they have access to you and your knowledge and it's like oh wow you know i get we got a, a lot of emails from that where people say oh i never even heard of x y and z and now i'm like i'm so fascinated by it and it's like that's it's it's like it's really something small that we do that creates something very big so it's awesome that's wonderful that's wonderful and may this help someone somewhere out there it's certainly been fun to do Oh, I think this was a juicy one. I mean, they're all pretty juicy, but this, I think, really was a great conversation of, you know, teasing various topics. So, um, yeah, I'm just so excited to see you, Suzanne. I I know we're in the same town, but I need to see more of you. <laughs> I would really enjoy that. Let's Let's get together for some tea or a walk or something. Yes, I would like that, too. Okay. Wonderful. Right. Well, yeah, well, have a good walk whenever you all have it. And have a, have a great day. And Suzanne, we'll be in touch. And thanks again. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. Ciao. Bye. Thanks for listening to us at Touching to Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Suzanne at SuzannePicard.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching into Presence. Bye for now.